Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wikimonger Recap. It is January the 27th of 2021. I'm your host, Nick Freeman, here alongside Chris Rolotilarios, and we've got manga to talk about today. Yes, we do. Exciting, right? Yes. Well, I mean, not now. I not what? a lot this week is like, super exciting. I, I, don't turn off the show. <laughs> uh, we, now, it'll be fun. I, I promise. I will note you didn't address me by my title of Lord, Lord or reigning, yes. defending, veto in the bank champion. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah. Maybe I should just I'm hold it the whole time so that way you can recognize your arm so you can do what you want with it i guess now i'm just gonna put it back here it's still in frame so you know that bluffed pretty quick didn't it (laughs) (laughs) Ah, shoulder you know injuries oh man how do people how do wrestlers do this with 20 pound belts all the time Uh, I remember asking Lance Storm that question once Uh, particularly I, I remember asking him how did the belt from the one TLC match support all of Jeff Hardy's weight. And I think he didn't answer. I think he didn't answer me because I asked a bad question before. (laughs) (laughs) So he was like, luck. (laughs) He might've been, I've told the story before about Lance Storm and being my brother's question. So I won't go back into that again, but. Oh man, Lance Storm, but he seems like such an incredibly, you know, fun, welcoming guy. Like, (laughs) you know what? Lance Storm's, if nothing, he's transparent. What you see is what you get. (laughs) And for better or for worse, you really can't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, it feels like if Lance Storm like were to, you know, I don't know, financially support people that people don't like, you would just be like, I gave this is the check that I gave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was great. Jim Corn. Thank you for letting me know, Lance. I appreciate that. (laughs) It was the greatest moment watching Jim Cornette and Chris Jericho go at it on Twitter. You're like, how can you both lose is what I need to happen here. It was also a really weird thing because like the things that Jim Cornette were saying were like, man, I've got nothing to disagree with him on for once. Like he's, he's got it. Got it. <laughs> oh, so I've got a little bit of a story to tell okay. that a few people on the Weekly Monk Recap Discord server, which you can join in now in order to get details of Nick's life like this whenever they pop up. Uh, I told people because, you know, on Saturdays we usually have our Among Us uh, community uh, games and uh, I thought I was going to make it and uh, then I did not because on Friday afternoon, shortly after I did a quick little stream, uh, like almost immediately after, like it was less than an hour after that, I started noticing it. Uh, my ear started hurting. Ooh. Uh, and my ear kept on hurting and it kept on hurting. Uh, and it got worse and worse. And, uh, by the time I went to bed Friday night, I concluded that I probably had an ear infection and uh, it got worse on Saturday and it got worse on Sunday. Uh, and on Sunday, like the pain, from the earache had spread like down my cheek to my jaw. Oh, so after taking an afternoon nap and getting up and walking around a bit, I, I, I was like, okay, this is enough. I need to actually get this looked at because this is really bad and it doesn't seem to be getting better on its own. So I went into a clinic and, uh, the doctor saw me for probably less than three minutes before saying, yeah, you need some antibiotics here. Go to the, drugstore and take this and this 
And within hours, I was like, wow, <laughs> medicine's great. <laughs> it really is. There's there's so many times where you like you, you, you just wait. You're like, ah, I don't want to get this checked out. And then you, you go and it's like a pill that fixes everything like in an hour. And you're like, why the hell didn't I do this? So for those of you out there who are like, I don't know if I need to get the vaccine. No, get take it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have a very quick story as well. Uh, I forgot to tell this one last week. I guess I was so excited that I won the uh, be doing the bank contract that I I, I just I must have just forgotten. Achievement. Yeah, it really. Honestly, this is this is the only trophy I've ever had in my life. So you know, I'm really I'm really banking on it. Um. So uh, last Monday, I tried to get a couple things done. Uh, really wanted to get a, a, like a bunch of things handled, and one of the first things I needed to do was I needed to go to the bank. I've been I've been putting off going to the bank to get like not like nothing major, just like I needed to get some checks deposited basically. And for weeks I've been kind of like ah, I just don't want to go today or something like that. Just kept happening. Finally get to the bank on Monday. I hate the current bank I'm at structurally. Everything's great. Uh, but the way it's built, cause you can't go inside right now cause of COVID you have to go around to the drive-thru and the drive through super narrow. So mm. I immediately get like super anxious when I have to drive around it. So I finally get there. There's nobody in line. I pull right up to the window and I see the sign closed for Martin Luther King day. And I, and, <laughs> and I, I tried to stop myself <laughs> And it wasn't at the holiday, I need to be clear. But I did drive away, and I said, fucking Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> I was just so upset. It could have been any holiday, I need to be clear. It's not at the content of the holiday. <laughs> just the fact that it was a bank holiday. <laughs> just the fact that I get up there, I'm like, god damn it. Yeah, it's that's perfectly understandable because, like, especially now when time has so much less meaning than it did this time last year, and even like it's one of it's also one of the one of the things that you just do. We realize when you become an adult, which is like, oh man, holidays sure are fucking arbitrary, aren't yeah. they? They're just when we decide to have them. Once you and, once you stop working at a job that gives you bank holidays off, mm, like it's all fucking or nonsense. Going to class yeah. or whatever, yeah. That's the big thing was like when when I'm on the when I'm on the Monday to Friday and you get all government holidays off school that it's like, I know exactly what everything is. I know when Arbor Day is (laughs) (laughs) because I get that day off and then it's like, no, no, I don't I don't get any day off because the world wants to squeeze you for every ounce of manpower that you have to, uh, to give and they give you pennies in return. So you don't you don't really care unless it's like Christmas or Thanksgiving, basically. <laughs> so. Pretty much, yeah. Uh anyways, we got a bunch of manga to talk about. Yes, we do. Uh I do have, by the way, the recommendation picked out mm. that we'll be working on next, but if you want to find out what that is, stay tuned to the end. Even I don't know, so this is exciting for all I of us. I haven't told Chris. It's whatever. So <laughs> You get to the end, we're like, Zatch Bell again. I'm like, interesting, but all right. (laughs) 
We're going to start with My Hero Academia, chapter number 298, Sounds of Collapse. And Chris, I have to admit, beginning of this chapter took me like four or five tries to actually understand what was happening. Now, do you feel like you understand what's happening? Yes. Good. I'm going to need you to explain it to me. That is perfectly understandable. Literally, when I finally got it, I was like, could you have made it? A little more clear that that was what was happening. Because you know what how manga language works with, you know, flashbacks, Chris? Yes. Black panels means the past. Mm-hmm. And flashbacks within flashbacks, gray panels. Yep. There are no black panels for any of this. You just have to pay attention to when it says, when this was happening. And if you don't see when this was happening then you don't know what's going on at the beginning of this chapter. So this takes place, this opening scene, while the hospital raid is happening. It's somewhere else. It might be at the Detnerat building. It might be in the Safety Commission building. Either way, what we see is after a flashback to establish that, you know, that disagreement between uh, skeptic and twice way back when, you know, they were arguing over who owed who what. Uh, that is to establish that this is a twice clone that is doing this. It is a twice clone of Redestro who. I guess they were trying to ambush as part of the raid plan. So they called him into this meeting, supposedly with the safety commission and he took on his monstrous form and fought them off. And he says some very, you know, scary kind of things, you know, like I've been, I've had to, you know, have two faces this entire time. One face as the, as the head of the Detnerak company and one as the leader of the revol of the metahuman revolution. And, when I knew that you two were going to be doing this, then my both my faces were overcome with joy. And now you come at us with such fire and brimstone. Well, isn't this the system you've built up? I suppose that it was necessary, but we seek order without order. True freedom through liberation. The seeds are already sown. A lot of that makes no sense. It's the words of a zealot that has read two philosophy books and thinks he understands the world. Sorry, the introductions of two philosophy books and thinks he understands the world. So this is a twice clone that melts, presumably either because the Redestro clone has taken damage or because twice died. And I guess that this whole thing was to establish, by the way, the people in charge of the safety commission that Deku and the others had to take that test for, they tried to help lay a trap for the president of the Detnerat Corp, and the clone was there instead, and he fought them off. I don't know why it was necessary for us to know any of this, because the real Redestro was captured. I was going to say, beat him up. I, I kept waiting for like Ed Shot to show up, and I was like, oh, so it's not that scene. <laughs> so- no. <laughs> so I don't know why it was important that we get this scene. At all, honestly. But we did. Huzzah. (laughs) We then cut forward to after the prison break at Tartarus, and we see that with the prisoners that were freed, uh, all for one led a bunch of other prison breaks. 
uh, at a bunch of much less powerful prisons. And uh, there was an emergency aircraft that required an official biometric ID to operate, which he accomplished by, I think, just brain controlling a guy to pilot it, honestly. I think that's what's going on. He could just be threatening him. I don't know. It looks like. I mean, he had uh, Meatball's dad before, right? So, I mean, theoretically, couldn't he have used Meatball's dad? Meatball's dad? Yeah, the fucking, the, the one kid who looks like he wears a Nazi uniform, turned people into Meatballs. His dad was one of the wardens last time. Oh, and right. He, and he had, it looked like that's who he had under his arm at the end of the last chapter. I guess. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. Look, this may surprise you, Chris, but sometimes my hero academia is not the clearest in <laughs> conveying what is going on. What? But Nick, it named all of its prisons after obscure Star Wars characters. Did, did it? Supposedly, that's the trivia I heard, that Shion, Bagu, and Quinn or whatever are poor or significant characters in the prison break episode of Mandalorian or some stupid shit like that. Okay. So, well, Shion is the name of the prisoner that they try and get, I guess. That might be right. Huh. That's I what I that's what I've heard. I don't I haven't gotten that far in Mandalorian, so I don't know. Um, but I guess, you know, makes sense. Alright, so uh well, one all for one in Shigaraki is hanging out with a bunch of people and he basically just says, yeah, so all of the people that we helped escape should hamper people from coming after us. Spinner is freaked out that Shigaraki is acting this way. And all for one is like, yeah, um, I'm all for one. <laughs> I'm just in Shigaraki. I'm just controlling his brain, but it's OK. I hold the greatest respect for Tamura's will. This body needs time and to rest and be perfected. Once it is, our desires will come to fruition. Anyway. I, I do like Spinner's line, though, about like, hey, I actually kind of liked Shigaraki. Like, we yeah. bonded about stuff. Like, we were kind of both nerds, we so we talked about things, video games like, yeah. and shit like that. <laughs> I didn't agree to follow you. And he's like, but I'm the greatest demon of all time. He's like, I don't see. I don't. I wasn't privy to that conversation, so I don't know what you're talking you're about. Fortnite, but I don't know your Fortnite friend code. So <laughs> he's like, Have you even had uh, a battle royale win? It doesn't sound like you have. And he's like, No, I know all the the Fortnite dances. And he just starts. He just starts shifting his body around. He's like, Just guess. <laughs> we cut over to the hospital where. All of the good guy kids are recovering. It's two days later, so probably until like three days after the battle took place. Bakugo wakes up, presumably for the first time. There's a few people from Class 1A there that are excited that he is awake, and he's immediately like, Shut up! Where am I? So, see, they made the mistake of putting anyone aside from Kirishima and, and Kaminari in there. It's all these other people that he has no reason to care about. Well, Saro, he kind of gets along with, I guess. But anyway. He's not happy. They say he's in a big central hospital, you know, getting top of the line care, uh, which is important because, you know, he got stabbed through like the spine. I was say, it looked like he was uh, in super bad straits. So the fact that he's up and moving around is, is pretty surprising. 
seems like he's going to make a full recovery. Uh-huh. Like there's no tease of like, oh, he's so badly injured or anything like that. So uh, there is a very human moment where he immediately just asks what happened to everyone else. What happened to Deku, what happened to Todoroki, Sensei, uh, everyone. And they look pretty grim for a moment. Uh, we cut over to uh, get some establishment of. Okay, so <laughs> I know what you're talking. I know what you're making this expression. So let's before we get to the plot stuff, Chris. Why don't you tell me what you're laughing at? I don't know why the doctor looks like a fucking like like a Saturday morning cartoonist just decided to like draw a shitty character to be like. Oh, well, uh, Mondays, right? <laughs> Just like, oh, like this fucking weird-ass Yoshi-looking rooster shit <laughs> that, like, does not fit the scene whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving all these terrible news. <laughs> he's like, oh, yes, uh, it seems I saw that uh, you had to uh, slice off your leg, uh, and uh, you, I'm afraid you'll never be the same man again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you'll never recover. Like, I'm sorry. Could someone besides Hagar the Horrible tell me this news? <laughs> like, he's like, excuse me. I've got a crying baby floating around in a bubble that I've got to go rescue. <laughs> uh, also, you know, President Mike is lamenting the fact that, yeah, Midnight's apparently dead. Uh, Aizawa, however, is just concerned with how the kids are doing. Gran Torino, by the way, is still alive. They saved him, too. So Gran Torino does, gets to live, but Midnight doesn't because she just dies off screen. Cool. Whatever. Todoroki's a bit mummied up over in his bed. He's got slightly more important characters from <laughs> Class 1A to look after him. <laughs> you think that they think that they, like... What? <laughs> and holy shit, it is! Bakugo really drew the B list of fucking students! <laughs> if you had to name four characters from Class 1A, I think if you subbed out Saro and put in Ojiro, he'd be like, Why is it you for? <laughs> uh, well, the fuck brought you guys? <laughs> So, holy shit. Yairozu, Ashido, Kirishima, and Shoji are there. And, yeah, it's like, wow, you managed to get everyone from, like, the upper third most important <laughs> in there. So, they've uh, clearly filled in Todoroki about everything that's happened. He's looking outside at this massive crowd of people because clearly there is a lot of press and public interest in shit that happens specifically surrounding him. Uh, and there are people, you know, demanding to be, to want to know like, Hey, what about Endeavor? Hey, are, do, do you know about Endeavor? What What's going on with him? You must know, right? Is Endeavor aware of what's going on in Japan? Uh, everyone's dying to know about his connection with Dobby. And they're, they're just, you know, hounding seemingly random people on their way into the hospital about this stuff. Um, also, Ashido is like clearly still like distraught over what what they've all been through. Yairosa doesn't look like she's slept at all, but she's kind of just going like it'll be okay. It's like trying to be the good, you know, class leader kind of kind of character and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pretty grim. Um, Todoroki remembers a character that very nearly made the Chris. Do you know who this who this My Hero Academia character is? Uh, no, I wouldn't, by the way. 
It's uh, the Starlight Wizard dude that they took down while they were training with Endeavor. And so Todoroki remembers what he said. Where he's like, oh, his shining light beckons the dark and precipitates our demise. It's like, all right. Anyway, Todoroki analyzes from, I guess, after the fact, after his fight with Dabi, that his flames are stronger than Endeavor's. I couldn't win with firepower alone. Those flames full of hate are so strong. And he's been watching us all this time, all to bring down Dad, wrecking his own body along the way, and not giving a damn whose lives get ruined in the process. He's basically me. Not Well, not... Hold on. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> He's how you could have been. He's, I guess he's he's being very hard on himself right now, and and just making it a little worse. He, he maybe he's playing it up. I've heard some people theorize that uh, Hangman exited through the heel entrance because he saw himself as the bad guy after not joining up with the Dark Order. I think it mm-hmm. might have just been coincidence that he exited through that, but it, it it would be a very telling thing about his personal state of mind if he chose to go through the heel entrance, you know? Chris, don't bring that up. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> that, that that little speech you gave, like, broke my heart. Oh, like, it's he the was... best. And the, I don't know how AEW has turned Hangman Page, who, at their first all-out pay-per-view, was like, who gives Why a this fuck? fuck? I... <laughs> Competing for the number one contendership. <laughs> Never gonna work. I was like, why wouldn't you have just made Omega versus Jericho the, the world championship match? Because this is fucking pointless in my mind. And now, if anyone ever hurt Hangman Page, I, I might like I, I might break kayfabe to hunt them down. I just I can't be sure. Like I'm just like, I'll fucking kill you, young bucks. How dare you do that to my boy? He was just trying his best. He was confused, and you weren't good friends. If you had been better friends, he wouldn't have fallen for this. It's your fault. Fuck you guys. Quit trying to be good guys. You can't. <laughs> you super kick Tony Schiavone or someone. I don't remember who. But somebody. I know they kicked the one. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> AEW is really good at storytelling. Okay. So. So. Uh. Todoroki thinks back to how he was in his, you know, spotlight arc during the school festival and how he used to also be, you know, raging with hate and stuff like that. And he concludes from this in a big full page spread, which is just his face set in a grimace. Dad can't do it. I have to be the one to handle my brother Toya. So that's setting up like, okay, well, it looks like he's got his own like kind of rival figure uh, all set up now. Along with, you know, Deku having Shigaraki. So, uh, at that moment, uh, Todoroki's siblings co- come in, Fuyumi and Natsu. And uh, so the classmates, you know, are like, oh, you must be blah, blah, blah. But at that moment, uh, well, actually, Ashido establishes that Todoroki's throat is all burned, so he can't talk, which that sucks. <laughs> uh, but at that moment, Fuyumi like, looks over his shoulder, and there's a figure coming in through the door behind her which is almost certainly Todoroki's mother. And yeah. the big reveal is that she's finally been able to leave the uh, hospital uh, where she was being looked after. In. Who could it also be, though? Like, obviously it's his mom, but who could it also be to be, like, hilarious? Well, I did actually take note, Chris, of all the different characters who aren't in these bedroom scenes uh, visiting okay. them. So, like, Uraraka's not there. Ida's not there. Uh, Jiro's not there. 
uh, there's a fair number of people that like you would think like why aren't like Ida and Uraraka there to visit Deku for example. Uh, what if? But, what if it's the hamster pr- principal and he's in like a giant person suit. suit? Yeah, he's in a giant person suit to explain why the silhouette is clearly of a person. And not, not no like, I speak when I wear this. <laughs> Time to be inconspicuous. And then he passes by that fucking Yoshi doctor. He's like, oh, what's the fucking point? He just rips it off. <laughs> it, it's clearly just him operate a bunch of stick arms and shit. It's like really horrifying too. It's there's like a flabby rubber skin suit with like big googly eyes on a skeletal structure going. <laughs> He's like, I spent forty five hours putting this together, and then you had this guy just walking around. Anyway, Bakugo, after being told where the others are, uh, has just decided to get up and go and find them, uh, and is overpowering Sato, which seems. Kind of crazy. Sato's a big guy. Just pick him up. Pick him up. He has that sugar recently. I guess so. Uh, Babakio is concerned because of his not friend, Deku, has not shown up yet and has shown no signs of waking up. And uh, so that's where we leave off the chapter with All Might watching over his protege, who has all of his limbs cast up, which, I mean, you know, if, if Deku's in a hospital, he better have at least three limbs cast up, because <laughs> otherwise, what are you even doing in there, dude? Yeah, so. come on. Um, Will Deku pick up? Probably. How fucking metal would it be if he didn't? That was, <laughs> like, the like, series just goes on. <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that's maybe where we go for a bit, that, like, we follow Bakugo as kind of a protagonist for a little bit, if you want to play up like Deku's injuries are that bad that you need to do like a big hero waking up, or at least for like a small mini arc or something like that, I wouldn't be shocked. We could also just time skip, I guess, or theoretically, I guess they could just be like, and then he woke up. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like, I guess a big deal. Um, I don't really know where it goes, but um, yeah, I thought the chapter was fine. I know a lot of people got really excited about it because there's a lot of like small moments of characters and things like that. But I, I think for me, a lot of those moments were too small to even like really register. Like I want to like the moment with Yoyorozu where it's like, oh, she looks really tired, but she's clearly putting on a face for everybody. But it's like, you know, she's in like two panels, so I really don't think I like. She could also just have bags under her eyes. Like I feel, I just don't want to like feel like I'm putting too much in there where it's not intended or something like that. So this cha- this chapter kind of felt like a trailer for much more interesting conversations and moments to happen from here on in. See, this is like the trailer we got hyping up season three of Cobra Kai. Uh-huh. So is Miguel going to wake up from his coma? Probably. Yeah. But... <laughs> Oh, man, if I read this chapter, it was a dope-ass rock cover of Angland Sai or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, what a great trailer. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I thought that once we actually got to the main characters that the chapter did pick up, there was a whole lot of, like, it's almost like a bell curve. Not a bell curve, like, but, like, oh, an exponentially ramping up graph. Where it's like, I don't care about anything happening between the Detnerat people and the safety commission people. I don't care why this is happening and I don't know what's happening because it's very confusing. Then you get to 
okay, yeah, the villains, all right, that's fine. And then he's like, oh, hey, all the people that are actually important to the series, good, what's going on with them? Okay, people aren't waking up, people are injured, and Todoroki's got a rival figure. All right, that's much more important stuff. So it's stuff to get actually excited about, in my mind. Okay. Yep. All right. So, <laughs> so we talked about Boruto last week, apparently, because I opened it up and I was like, "No, we did we talk did. about this one." <laughs> so we have Kaiju number eight, then. Okay. So last time Kafka got his promotion, hooray! Mm. And uh, it's Mina who like get, meets with him like privately and and just has a. Very short little ceremony with him. It's like, you're being formally promoted now to Defense Force Officer. And Kafka, you know, salutes and says, I solemnly swear to fight with all my heart and soul. And then he's like, uh, all right, I guess I'll be going now. But at that moment, Mina speaks to him, you know, more familiarly and says, hey, don't go celebrating just yet. You're nowhere close to fighting by my side. And so he gets a little cocky and he's like, all right, well, you just watch me now. And she gives him a not really smile. She kind of like chuckles. And then she's I like, mean, the sound effect says, hey, so she, she hey. did laugh like, all right, all right. 50 pushups for not addressing a superior officer properly. <laughs> you can't let yourself get suckered in. But like that, dude, like she's yeah. just going to keep on busting your balls until you until you wise up. So. But uh, as he prepares to leave again, she mentions Kaiju number eight and number nine. And uh, she says, those incidents require me to take a trip to headquarters. So I'll be away from the base. I'm leaving Hoshina in charge. So ask him for the rundown. And he is back to formality again and salutes. And then she says, just so you know, Hoshina was the one who pushed for you to be a general officer. Your exploits in the last battle also played a part in the decision, but he has faith in you. Don't let him down. So again, one of those kind of things where Hoshina wants uh, wants Kafka around for suspicious reasons. I was a little bummed by this interaction. Um, and it's honestly, it's a little concerning to me. These two have zero chemistry, and I don't know if it's just because Mina hasn't been able to express a personality yet. Hmm. Um. But I am worried because very much the emotional core of this series does seem to be about Kafka eventually earning his way to be able to fight along or, alongside her. Uh, and based off this at least small interaction, I was like, maybe it doesn't need to <laughs> you interact with the rest of the characters. You you bounce off them well. This this is the big, you know, I want to be Hokage thing that we're supposed to be rooting for Kafka. You know, the more kind of selfish goal that he's supposed to have in mind. I want to fight beside my old friend and stuff. And so if we're supposed to see want to see him achieve that goal, then I get what you mean. It should be like when you're given hints of it, they should be really make it seem really appealing for when that happens, when he's able to actually, you know, stand beside her on on equal footing. But it's in a way it's like. It's sort of more realistic, I guess, that the wall is still up, you know? It, it makes sense. But, but and, and this is also just the first time we've seen the two of them interact in a private setting. Any other time has been in front mm-hmm. of people or things like that. So there's she's just still acting the same. Yeah. And I understand she she's the superior officer. She doesn't, you know, it's probably in that way considered inappropriate to to act friendly with a a lower ranking officer of any kind but it's just one of those moments where i'm like 
Mm. I would much rather see you <laughs> interact with like Kikoru or Reno or fucking toilet kaiju at this point. Like, anybody mm-hmm. really. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, she's just got that very proper robotic act about her. And I know that there's like the little hints that Kafka, you know, because he means enough to her, she kind of does let that actual part of her out a little bit around him. But it is a very, very small amount. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, I, it doesn't she help. Seems very like a suit. Yeah, so. it doesn't help that she hasn't shown a ton of personality outside of being strong yet either. So. No, I get what you mean. I mean, we're still early on in this series, but at the same time, longer it goes by. It's like a series that a series that, by the way, has been doing ridiculously well, like fucking ridiculous. It's a volume one outsold burn the witches volume one. Yeah. It's like, what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anywho. So. It's late that night. Kafka uh, has been up late studying and he's like, all right, I should turn it in or the vice captain's going to be mad at me again. But then he happens to spy someone is working out in the training room and hey, it's vice captain Hoshina. And he goes in to take a look at him and Hoshina is doing like image training uh, with his with practice swords. He's, you know, moving around really quickly, slashing through the air and stuff like that. And eventually Kafka realizes, oh, he's not just like image training he's reenacting his fight with kaiju number eight and uh just being in the presence of this guy who nearly killed him kind of makes kafka collapse in the doorway which draws hoshina's attention and uh you know they greet each other and then hoshina's like yeah yeah i'm practicing my moves against number eight so the next time i run into it i'll be fit to slice that sucker up in one go uh and he's, you know, kind of really down on himself. He's like, I shouldn't have, you know, held back to gauge its abilities. I should have just gone for it from the get go, sent its head flying. And at the end there, if I'd used skill number six instead of number five, I would have killed this all. And Kafka's like, oh, don't try and kill me. He's freaking out right there. And Toshina, like in an aside, is like, you're sure freaking out about me waving these practice swords around. Are you OK? So he doesn't get it. Yeah, but uh, he also says no ordinary officer could handle that thing. And I'm guessing that number nine is just as powerful. I've got to get rid of him. Uh, and Kafka, you know, seeing Hoshina be this serious for once realizes, yeah, he's not just trying to protect humanity. He's also doing his best to protect us, his his fellow officers that depend on him. And uh, so he says, vice captain. Mina told me that you have faith in me. And he salutes and says, I'll do my best to provide vital support to the force. Small pause. And Hoshina puts him in a rear naked choke. <laughs> and he says, I, I, why are you trying to talk so big when you can't you know, pull out any of, the, any of your freaking uh, suits power? But he you know, releases him and says, I will say, though, I do have faith in at least 1% of you. Uh, and then he is going to go back to the bureau building. They're going to go to bed and we cut outside up into the sky, way up into the sky, 8,000 meters above Tachikawa base, 
where another humanoid kaiju is riding around on this big dragon bat looking kaiju one of seemingly dozens of its like and it simply says begin descent and that's it, the end of the chapter it is very interesting to me that because at first i was like oh, okay kaiju number nine's back and then i looked at it again i was like that's not kaiju number nine that is definitely a different kaiju so it's interesting we're getting another humanoid kaiju here that i would presume is also uh sinister so uh and it's a pretty dope looking one uh, i don't really know what's about to happen here uh i guess an attack on the base kind of like fight or Seems something like, like that it, yeah. but uh yeah this is definitely a very interesting development i mean yeah the time time did pass so reno and ihara were out of the hospital yeah. right yes because they were at the big party yep so all right so yeah everyone will be there interesting yeah um it'll i mean the chapter in terms of, like building character and stuff like that it's all right I mean, there's a couple of cool things. I do like that, you know, Hoshina is being developed in this way uh, as he's becoming a more and more important character to the cast. But the big thing for me is just the way that we end on that big cliffhanger. It's a really cool cliffhanger. Yeah. All right. Spy family. Mission 40. It's a Bond chapter, Chris. Oh, boy. That dog. That dog wants some food. But he is disturbed when he has a vision with his precognitive powers and nothing comes to him. It's just like a kind of a staticky black screen, which confuses the poor pupper. I have been, and... I have been very disturbed by a future in which I am uh, non-existent. The fragility of life very apparent to me right now. I'm now going to eat this nail off the floor. <laughs> it was not a tasty nail. Maybe this one will be tastier. <laughs> Perhaps if I eat seven or eight of them. <laughs> well, that did not agree with mine, Tommy, but maybe if I eat the, the excrement that came out, it will taste better. <laughs> I appear to have vomited it all over the carpet, but perhaps my bile is the true sauce that will make this a delicious treat for me to remember. I have a bow tie. <laughs> so, Bond kind of imagines the possibilities, like, oh, maybe I'm playing hide and seek with 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 Anya, and the power go, or maybe the power goes out, or maybe I'll get blindfolded and offered a surprise, like very silly things. But then he imagines being caught by the scientist from the lab that he was brought up in, and he dies, and that's why he's got a blank screen. So he kind of panics and looks around the room, looks at a portrait and uh, some portraits of him surrounded by his loving family. And he imagines how they'll react when he dies. And he just kind of like <laughs> trudges around. And then he goes to Anya's room and uh, he tries to like, you know, say goodbye to her. And I was like, I'm doing homework. And I don't have time to play. <laughs> so poor boy. He walks off and runs into Yor, and Yor's like, oh, oh, we're out of dog food, and I, I, I didn't buy any more. Sorry, uh, Lloyd said he'd be coming on late, so I guess I'll have to try making your dinner out of what we have here. I'll give it my best shot. 
And suddenly, Bond has a moment of clarity over the staticky future vision of Yor with her terrible cooking trying to feed him and killing him. And this comes up about five times through the rest of this chapter. I think I'm officially sick of the Yor can't cook joke. Uh, yeah, it's a very, it's a very stock joke in, in manga and everything like that. Particularly because the joke is usually that someone is so bad at cooking, it'll be actively painful to the body or dangerous to consume it. It's like, it's very rarely how someone who's bad at cooking is, it'll just suck or just won't come together. Like it it feels, it'll be burned. Yeah. You know, it won't take on suddenly toxic properties. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because she is an assassin and it's like her skill as an assassin coming through. I don't know. So he imagines like, okay, well, what if she offers it to me and I just refuse it? But then he, a thought comes to him of Anya saying, if you make mama mad, she'll murderize you. And so he gets this vision of like him lying dead while Anya cries over him. And you are saying he wouldn't try the dinner I made after she's like slashed his belly open. So he decides he can't do that. So he comes to the conclusion that he needs Lloyd to come home and make dinner instead so that he can survive. And he has this very weird interpretation of what Lloyd does during his days outside, which is essentially he's like a hunter gatherer from humanity's ancient past. But he's still in his three piece suit. Fair enough. So he's like, if I help out Lloyd with the hunt, then he'll come home early and then he can make food and then I won't starve to death. Hooray. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's how a dog would think. Sure. <laughs> so we get a few pages of Bond running around. Uh, he keeps on also throughout the chapter coming across opportunities to eat food, but he imagines you are getting mad at him if he eats food that he finds. So he can't do that either. Uh, he, you know, dodges traffic, gets harassed by some kids eventually seemingly is about to give up, but kind of like gathers himself and keeps running around winds up for some reason on the clock tower roof of a building overlooking everything. I don't know how he got up there. He's a resourceful doggy. And eventually he finally catches, uh, catches a Lloyd's scent. Lloyd is on a mission. Of course, he has been sent to retrieve a sample of Grulimus, which is a truth serum being developed by Born Industries. So he's been sent in. He can't just go in disguise there. He has to basically cat burglar it, infiltrate that way. Uh, as he's about to make his way into the building, Bond finds him. And so Lloyd is like trying to shush him. And he's like, are you out on a walk? Why are you here? And eventually, as Bond is trying to communicate with him and say, like, come feed me. I'm hungry. Lloyd is like, oh, you want to play? No, 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 wait. Wait, are you trying to guide me to a route free of people? I don't recall training him to do that. Wait, now that I think about it, Born Industries was rumored to be involved with Project Apple. Do you know that somehow? Is that why you're here, boy? You want payback against the scientists who abused you and your friends as test subjects? Okay, lassie, let's do it. And just decides to bring the dog on the mission. So they infiltrate the building. They make their way into the lab. Uh, and as Lloyd is rummaging around and he's trying to get into one of the specimen lockers to get the truth serum, Bond has a vision of the scientists, 
coming back into the room while Lloyd is rummaging around. And as a result of that, him having to, you know, fight against them while Bond escapes. And as a result of that, Lloyd can't get home early to make food, so he'll have to eat yours cooking, blah, blah, blah. So Bond instead grabs Lloyd by the shirt to lead him away. They hide, and Lloyd leaves a note on one of the lockers that says, I have stolen Gerilluminus. And so the staff are like, what the hell? And they open up the locker in order to check on it. And it was a trick in order for them to open up the locker so that Lloyd could know where to look. He and Bond spring out of hiding. Bond has his own ski mask, which will be very helpful for a dog, I'm sure. Uh With the dog goes skiing. Yes, yes. (laughs) They beat up the staff, including Bond doing a very impressive drop kick. Uh, And uh, so Bond's like, all right, there's my sample. Mission's complete. I can make it home early. And so Bond's vision suddenly comes into focus of... Lloyd and Yor and Anyo looking down on him after he has eaten. Lloyd's cooking. Hooray. And so he celebrates in happiness right while they're in there in the lab. And Lloyd's like, oh, you must be really happy to have gotten payback at Bourne Industries. Let's go to the market on the way back. I'll cook you something special. Hooray. Worf, worf. Worf, worf. Nick, I didn't care for this chapter. You didn't care for the dog chapter. No. In fact, I, I, I would go as far as to say I hated it. Uh, I don't I don't much enjoy a chapter where the core premise of it is the dog thinks that it's going to die. And it spends the whole chapter <laughs> trying to fight against what seems like an inevitable fate. Wasn't a fan of that. Didn't like that bit one bit. <laughs> I fucking despised it. <laughs> They could have taken the same premise and not had the dog worry about his life the entire time. And I think it could have been just fine. But instead, you did that. Not a fan of it. By by the way, the leading implication in the chapter is still that if if he hadn't gone out, he was going to die. Like, there's not... It all comes into focus at the end. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the implication is that... Yes, Bond changed his own fate, which was death, by doing all of this. And he was, in fact, correct that he was going to die. Like, you could possibly say it looks like they turned off the lights when they were inside that place. So maybe what he was seeing is a few. But he had to, like, actively go out of his way to do Like, I don't know. Like The implication feels like it was, oh, that dog was going to die that day. And I was just like, I don't need that. I don't really need chapters about dogs dying. In fact, the less I think about dogs dying would be great. Uh, I didn't really care for it for different reasons. Um, I just thought that, you know, the... You were like, the dog doesn't die in the chapter, and I no. hated it. I like, I like Bond. Yeah. You, know, you shut up. But, like, I don't know. It just seemed like the jokes surrounding him were not funny. It's not that I was, you know, angry about the concept of the dog dying. It's just, like, him freaking out over that is just not really funny to me, mm-hmm. or it was not done in a way that was very funny to me. So it's unfortunate because, you know, this is the first time that Bond's gotten any focus in a while, and we really liked him when he first showed up. And, uh, yeah, didn't really care for this much. Yeah, that's fair. Not every one of them is going to be a winner. Talking about chapters that are winners, though, Nick, let's move on to Eden Zero, Chapter 127, The Doomsday System. Um, so we open, uh, Chris is outside, Clean is inside the medical room. And uh, things don't look great. She's apparently uh, getting worse. And all of Sister's, like, healing uh, 
Colto, whatever the fucking Star Wars thing is. She's like, uh, look, our magic's vibranium. We can't pump enough vibranium into her to solve all of her problems. I'm going to have to go inside. So uh, she basically says, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go like memory dive into her and I guess try to root out the cause of this issue. Uh, we cut back to the satellite where evil Dr. Scientist basically continues his big evil monologue about how he's like, yeah, I tortured them because their family were patrons of mine until they found out what I was doing. And then I killed them and I kidnapped their children so I could torture them forever. Why? Because revenge and fuck them. That's why. Um, and everyone's Pretty like, much. all right. So because then, I'm evil. Yeah. So then which uh, or yeah, sorry, sister sees the scene that we saw before of like a, a young clean that has to be, you know, is being forced to watch as this goofy scientist cuts up her brother with a fucking chainsaw. It's so cartoonish and stupid. Um, <laughs> I don't just love if it cut back to Chris at that moment and he just went, yeah, that really hurt. <laughs> He's like, I remember the chainsaw. I don't remember it being used against me. That's a detail I guess I blocked out. Um, so Arsenal punches him. They get a fight. Oh, you can't beat him because Otec is too strong or something like that. And Doctor's like, I've activated the Doomsday system, so the planet's going to explode, but it'll shoot a bunch of beams. Uh, Xenoliths tell Shiki to get off the planet because bad things are going to happen. So they got to get out of here because the planet's like exploding some shit. Uh, Evil Doctor's just like, yes, I will. I will. I've done it. Forrester would explode now. Hermit's like, I'll start hacking you. And he's like, nope, doesn't work. <laughs> And then Arsenal cuts him in half, and he's just like, teehee, that didn't work either. Uh, and he blows up most of Arsenal's suit, so it's like, uh-oh. It looks like uh, e Dr. Evil faces is too tough. But then a drop of water gets on some of his circuitry, and it electrocutes him. And he's like, ah, my only weakness! The same weakness all electronics have! Uh, and it's Laguna who's shown up. And uh, Weiss is like, I don't need your amp, all right? Laguna's like, that kind of looks like you did. Uh, and he basically just makes like kind of a, like a river of water that pulls Weiss over. And I wasn't sure what he did at first until I had to go back and check. Weiss puts his hand on uh, Doctor's chest and then uses his ether gear to basically just explode his chest from the inside. So I don't know. The Doctor's dead. Who knows? Probably not. I'm sure we'll get another scene of him later. Hermit seems to have very quickly gotten over the trauma of seeing this guy. And yeah, uh, she thinks Weiss is hot. Like, yeah. clearly. Arsen so. Yeah, Weiss gives a whole line about, like, sorry, but Arsenal is a champion of justice. But out of the suit, uh, and Hermit finishes, she says, very cool. I'm like, all right. Sure. Guys, if you want to impress your, your hot robot waifu, what you really got to do is just straight up murder a crazy doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, i don't know like it it probably could have been and again we we talked about it we we like that the first thing weiss did when he saw this doctor and you know the 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 pain that it it you know the trauma it seemed to inflict on harm it was he immediately came to raid and, and tried to you know fight back that was great it's just a weird thing to then end that scene 
with Hermit kind of being like, oh, you're very cool. And maybe there isn't meant to be any, like, romantic implications or anything like that, just like a compliment. But it is still very odd to end the scene with her being like, thanks for solving that snare. You were very cool for doing it. It's just like, yeah, if that's not supposed to be the implication, then hero draw a different face on her. You're Mm -hmm. a talented artist. You can do that. (laughs) All right. Let's uh, move on to Maguchan, God of Destruction. Is it it Maguchan? Or to be Elusive Samurai? It's the Elusive Samurai. Oh, Nick, come on. We don't do that. Articles don't count for the title. Fine. Let me switch them around. (laughs) No, no. Let's do it how Nick wants. Make up your mind. (laughs) Never. Well, I already switched the order of them around. So the Elusive Samurai, chapter one. Hold on. I closed it. Never. (laughs) Why did you close it? Go ahead. Chapter 1, The Slaughter of 1333. It's a new manga running in Shonen Jump. So, as usual on Weekly Manga Recap, we're going to read the first few chapters and then decide whether or not we're going to keep it. And Chris is menacing me right now by patting the uh, Vito in the Bank briefcase behind him. Mm-hmm. This is a series by uh, Yusei Matsui, the... Author of uh, Majin Tati no Gamineru and of Assassination Classroom. So, um, two very successful tur- series. So, for, yes, two very successful series and also two very. I'm not sure what the exact adjective I want to use is, but grimmer, I mm. guess, than usual Shonen Jump series. So, when the turn happens in this chapter, I wasn't as surprised as I would have been if anyone else were writing it, this. It was almost, it was sort of like an anti-twist, because for the longest time I was like, when is this going to make sense? And then when, like, the creepy seer dude shows up, I'm like, finally! Now it all comes together. Like, I was just waiting for that character to show up and tie everything together. So, we get this really long introduction that essentially amounts to establishing the world, the way the world works, what is expected of samurai in this world and how our protagonist fits into what is supposed to happen. So, uh, our protagonist is this, uh, young, like preteen kid, Hojo Tokiyuki, who is the son of Hojo Takatoki, the regent of the Kamakura shogunate, who uh, is a very sharp-minded and not at all constantly drugged and drunk guy who's being manipulated by his advisors. Nope, that's not what's going on at all. Uh, anyway, so Tokiyuki is supposed to be like the heir to the shogunate, the, the heir to the throne. And meanwhile, uh he seems to get along well with the big hero of the shogunate, this samurai hero, Ashikaga Takaoji, the foremost character at the start of the the Nanbakucho period of Japanese history. He is a real historical figure. But he's not the hero. Our hero is this little kid who is very skilled at running away. And we see this when he's found by some vassals and they're like we've got to teach you some art we've got you know archery lessons for you you're late for your lessons and he runs away from them and he actually gets away which is very impressive for short kids 
you know, because their legs are shorter. So how, how do you yeah. run that fast? But so he kind of runs away from his responsibilities. He also uh, is running away from this girl who is clearly into him. And she's, you know, talking about like, oh, you're going to be my future husband and stuff. Uh, and people are talking about him like, you know, I'm kind of worried about that guy. I mean, you know, he's supposed to be the, the successor to the Shokunit. But, you know, when he does rise to that position, he's just going to be a puppet the way that his father is. Uh, his advisors hold the true power. And Kyoko, the girl who's into uh, into him, says, well, I don't really care if he's a, a puppet. I'll still live in, in luxury. He may be talentless and weak-willed, but he's kind. And that's good enough for me. And she's like, gets money in her eyes. So it's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess you, you two get along all right, I guess. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to get used to you being around and being kind of bratty. Yep. Uh, we also see that there's this kind of thing where, like, he tries to keep running away and uh, the hero, uh, Takaoji, is able to catch him. So, hmm. Foreshadowing. Yeah. That's a touch. And uh, we get some more just, like, narration introducing who this kid is, Tokuyuki. Uh, and... They're saying, like, you know, he's not really brought up in history books, but very much, but he's important to this story. So get used to him. As he's running around, we see that there are two people watching him from, like, some shrubs. Uh, this young girl and this kind of priest-looking tall guy. And as the priest looks at him, he sees this kind of spirit coming up out of, out of Tokiyuki of, I don't know, it's like... It's like a serpent almost, but you don't see the serpent. You just see like a trail of feathers coming off of it. I was going to say, it's it, almost looked, like it, look, it looked like the plumage almost of like a, like a peacock. Yeah, but it's like the plumage is not on anything, which is interesting. It's just well, kind of there. It, it is in like the, uh, not in that scene, but it's it's at the end of the manga, I think. And it's also in the two page color spread that, that introduces it. I'm not sure exactly what it's meant to represent, but um, it is very colorful. Mm. More and more narration building up the Tokiyuki is lazy and cowardly and stuff like that. Hey, you're hey. here. Yeah. All right. Good kid. Uh, but he thinks to himself, he's just, you know, hanging on a tree like, you know, I don't really care about all this stuff. I like this place, Kawakura. I like that the people here are happy. And I don't need, like, status or honor. Just living here is enough for me. And as long as loyal warriors like Takaoji Dono are around, the Shogunate will remain untroubled. Hooray! The girl who was watching him before now approaches him, and she speaks very bluntly to him uh, to say, like, you know, you're not lazy. You're not cowardly. Those are merely aspects of the monster asleep within you. At least that's what Father says. And she points behind him and the priest dude has snuck into the tree right next to him. And, uh, yeah, he's a weirdo. He, uh, he's very enthusiastic. Let's just say. Um, and he claims that like, he's got, this guy is Yori Shige, who is clearly going to be a very important character as like this advisor character. And he, uh, very quickly establishes like all of his gimmicks and stuff like that throughout this. This is clearly going to be, you know, 
It's it's interesting because this is, seems to be the way that uh, Matsui kind of does characters. Like there is a pretty normal point of view character, and then there's the the tall weirdo character who gets put in the more in the more prominent roles. So you know, Neru, uh, Koro Sensei, and now this guy. So anyway. He, you know, establishes like, you know, oh, I can read futures and stuff like that, but it's always really vague. And so, like, he says a lot of sentences with, like, words blurbed out. So, you know, it's only like the filler parts of the description are where they're left. So he doesn't actually say anything that's going to happen to Tokiyuki, uh, who gets more and more pissed off by his presence. But he says, there is one thing that I saw clearly, which is in comedy duos, there's a straight man and a funny man, and you're more of a straight man. In other <laughs> words, I'm the comic relief. Hey, oh, hey, he also says, I saw the future two years from now. When you are 10 years old, you will be a hero who shakes heaven as a lord of war. Some will fear you and others revere you. Thus, you shall alter the destiny of Japan. That is all I know. And, and like he's like winding down and he looks up and sees that Tokiyuki has run away from him because that's what he does. So Tokiyuki runs away and but he is left to think about uh, what this priest has just told him. And uh, so he's like, you know, he called me a hero and he looked really serious when he said that. So that's unusual. Uh, we then are introduced to Tokiyuki's half brother, Kunitoki, who is older than him, but was, you know, he was born from one of his father's concubines, so he's not in line for the throne. Uh, and so he's, you know, lying back and saying like, yeah, you know, like I actually do kind of believe some of the things that that guy was telling you because, you know, you're good at running away, but you're also like good at evasion and that's a good skill. So I think in certain circumstances, yeah, you could be a hero. Anyway, he's dead. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it like really cut his head falling to the ground after he's been beheaded. So he's killed. His father is stabbed. Well, his father All kills himself, the, right? He does the, the uh, he, commits, he commits he commits seppuku. Yeah. yeah. Um, All of the guards are killed. Kyoko, that girl who was wanting to, you know, hook up with Tokiyuki, she was raped and killed. Very unnecessary. And as we're starting to see more and more like shots of like, you know, people in the army who are loyal to the Shogun getting cut down, arrows shot through their heads. We get a narration saying for the boy to become a hero, he had to lose everything. And who is responsible for all of this? Why it's the hero that they relied upon so much. Takauji Ashikaga, who stands on a pile of bodies inside a burning building with his head thrown back as he says, who will raise me to be ruler than all? Whose voice is that that I hear? So. A lot of stuff happens where he is quickly destroying all the Shogunate's forces but he, and he even sent his three-year-old son to a military commander and the boy commanded in his name, which good job, kid, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> good on you. Uh, and so. 24 days after Takaoji rebelled against the Shogunate, basically everyone is dead. 
bladed ruins. Except, of course, for Takahito, who is left to bear witness to all this destruction and death. And at that moment, uh, the priest appears to him again, along with his daughter, and says, At the end, your father said he could not bear the thought of you dying, so he commanded me to help you escape. I will shelter you in my territory of Sua in Shinano. And so, of course, Tokiyuki's like, why are you here? And Yorishige says, my divine sight showed me this possibility, so I prepared for the worst. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I have followers and a mount nearby. Uh, let's go. And Tokiyuki's like, the honorable thing for me to do is just to die here. I should cut open my stomach like my father did. And so the priest says, do you know what will happen to Japan if you do that? And Tokiyuki's like, well, why don't you tell me? And Yorishige does his very vague fortune telling again. And Tokiyuki's like, why are you? Ah, not appropriate for this situation. My dad's dead. <laughs> uh, as they ride away, Tokiyuki just sees even more of the destruction. It, like, there is really grim stuff throughout this chat. Heads on stakes, people burning and stuff. It's It's really grotesque. But again, because of who wrote this, not all that surprising. Yeah. Uh, so. Tokiyuki is left to just kind of contemplate all this stuff that is happening, and he's doesn't really trust Yoshishige yet. And so he's like, look, I'm not going to trust my, myself to you. You're 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 a fraudulent shaman. And his daughter, Yoshige's uh, daughter, kind of backs of this up saying, like, yeah, you are kind of a fraud, dad. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Tokiyuki says, we can't avenge my father. Look at all this. It took Minamoto Yoritomo five years to defeat the Heiki clan. But Takauji laid waste to the whole country in just 24 days. And the other day you were telling me that I was going to become a hero, but future generations only apply that word to someone strong like Takaoji. It's a disgrace for the defeated not to die. So I should die like a warrior along with everyone else. You know, she is like, okay then. And pushes him <laughs> off a cliff. That's <laughs> a pretty dope movie. He's like, hey, here you go, boom. So he lands among, amongst a bunch of Takaoji soldiers and Yoshige is like, that's the Hojo boy. You're supposed to be hunting him down and killing him. And in that moment, instead of letting himself, you know, be killed, Tokiyuki reacts and he reaches out and catches himself on like the blunt ends of people's blades. And he starts kicking and jumping off of people's faces and running to safety again. And Yoshihige witnesses all this and he sees the aura around him come into full focus is almost like this phoenix surrounding his body. And he says... In the depths of despair and thrust into the abyss of death, that is the place within you where a hero shines. So Tokiyuki gets back up onto the cliff, latches onto Yoshiyuki and says, Hey, I could have died. But Yoshiyuki says, Well, you said you wanted to die, but then you saved your skin. That's the hero inside of you. Running and hiding are part of what makes the hero. Your survival instinct is monstrous, and you have an unmatched talent for staying alive. You thrill at walking the line between life and death. So Takaoji may have slain many people, but you will vex him because next he must kill the rightful heir to the Kamakura Shogunate and you excel at escaping death. Takaoji killed to become a hero. You will live to become a hero. 
So cool stuff. Uh, and then we just kind of like get this invocation, like, by the way, you're not going to do this on your own. There are other characters that will appear. They will help you look at these flashes of these interesting characters who are going to ally with you. But uh, you can lose by saying, as long as you draw breath, Takaoji will come seeking your demise. Until then, run and hide, grow strong, so you may vanquish the demon pursuing you. Now the fate of Japan hangs on a game of hide from the demon. So, he wants to know why the priest is doing all this. And he's like, why do you, what do you get out of all this? And he says, oh, loyalty to the Hojo clan. But, I mean, you're probably not going to believe me. So, I'll explain someday, but only once you've reclaimed Kamakura. So he says in response, I am shameless. My family is dead. I should have died with them. But thanks to you, I've awakened to the joy of life. I'll hold you to your word. And so this begins our tale as our, our little team of people ride off on horseback to safety. And we get narration closing this out saying this thus began the tumultuous life of the elusive samurai prince. So I will say this. I am intrigued. I'm not 100% sold yet. Uh, it's an interesting place to start from, but I haven't gotten hooked into it yet. Uh-huh. I guess we'll see where this goes in the next couple of weeks. I liked a lot about this. I I really I it's an odd thing because I don't I don't like historical stuff at all. Like I've probably read enough manga on it and played enough games on it i i still couldn't explain to you even the basis level what the romance of the three kingdoms is i i don't know there's fighting i think and sometimes they turn them into pokemon or something i, I think in conquest that might have been japan i don't know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be able to like acknowledge all of it uh, or appreciate it. i know this is based off of some real historical stuff i don't have any interest in looking it up um, or anything like that, to be frank. Uh, but I still enjoy it. One, uh, it is something different. We have had uh, quite a few veterans of Jump come back into the magazine, and sometimes their stuff's overcomplicated, or like mm-hmm. we're seeing with the current series running now, it's too much of the old. Um, I don't know if this will be a success either, uh, but I do appreciate that this is very much nothing at all like Nehru or Assassination Classroom. This this feels very different. Um, the art in it is phenomenal. There are like two or three different points where I, I found myself just staring back like, holy shit, I forgot how good uh, Matsui, is, or Butsui or is Matsui? Uh, I believe it is Matsui. Matsui. How good of an artist they are. It, it, it's It's phenomenal. And also some pretty good writing, too. I don't know why, but I, I, I like the line of, like, yeah, his name was Hojo. He may have been in the uh, the history books, but everyone forgets his name after the test. And I was like, shit. It's a great little line. <laughs> That's yeah. a real good way to burn somebody's historical. Um, I don't know. I just I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought there was some really cool stuff going on in here. Um, I do like that. Hey, I'm reading everything as a jump. It'll be nice to have something that has just a different flavor than everything else. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I I totally understand where you're coming from, though. This is definitely a wait and see kind of series because as of this point, I have no idea what to expect from the next chapter even. So there's a little bit of like a, a hesitation of like this could just suck. I don't know. Or 
this could just be too weird to catch on and like not weird in the same way assassination classroom was just like i don't know is is there enough people who are really interested in a historical fiction kind of thing like who knows yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I think that, you know, it did a really good job of conveying the themes to which it's going to adhere. Uh, this idea of like this, this guy is a hero by doing things that seem unheroic, as in running away. Uh, but it also reminds me a lot of uh, Yona of the Red Dawn, because that series opens with uh, our main character or, you know, father being killed in a rebellion and she has to run away and find allies and stuff like that. It seems like we're getting a similar premise to start with, but it seems like it's also going to be a totally very different series from that. I get the impression that, uh, our main hero is not going to have hot boys fighting over him, but maybe he will. It maybe. Know. Uh, I, I, I started laughing there cause I was like, Oh, you know, the red dot, I should read that. And I was like, we did. We did. It's <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> no, that makes sense. <laughs> I was like, no, what I'm thinking of was that one uh, fucking Snow White with the red hair or some shit like that. And I was like, no, we read, read that, that too. too. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking, I was like, maybe mix it up with something else. And I was like, no. <laughs> just go through every single weekly Marguerite Cat recommendation. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Onani Master Kurosawa. No way. <laughs> I'm thinking of it's not my fault. I'm not popular yet. Now we read that one too. <laughs> You're just like staring off into space for like 20 minutes. <laughs> Nick, which Higurashi did we read? All of them. Shit. <laughs> oh, man. So this was uh, definitely a very interesting first chapter. And... Uh, I feel more optimistic about this probably than like anything we've gotten in the last couple of rotations of new series. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, will I want to keep up with this every week? I don't know yet because we've gotten a really interesting opening chapter. Uh, but in terms of like what it'll be like reading it week to week, that remains to be seen. So. Yes, I will. I will say this though. I am. I am much more excited about this current crop of of chap uh, a series coming in for two reasons. One, uh, looks like there's a bunch of different kind of series in there. Uh, there's sports series eventually. It's baseball, but I'll fucking take it at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm also excited because it's getting rid of fucking garbage. <laughs> Just our blood oath. <laughs> Maury King's gone. A Gravity Boys is gone. Oh. All of the series that are like of the same ilk too, which is just dumb comedy. <laughs> yeah, or just which, bad, dude. Our books, our books. These were all like funny things. Like, there's too many comedy manga and jump right now. Yeah. There just is. Like, dude, our blood. I know oath, our blood oath is not a comedy, but it no, might as well because who gives a shit? Our blood oath got the most brutal of cancellations, where it was right in the middle of a story arc. That didn't even really, like, it was kind of like, it's about two other characters, but it's really about you guys. And they solved that, and then the two main characters had to be like, and we'll be friends forever! <laughs> the end shows up like there was no natural conclusion. I was like, oh, that's the that's the cancellation that really hurts. They didn't, that's like, 
on like you had to submit the manuscript by Tuesday and like Monday afternoon there's like a knock at your door like uh yeah this is the last chapter you were good to wrap that up right like what no <laughs> oh man it's not like I mean like you th- it seems like everyone should be told when they're in Shonen Jump like by the way have be prepared to end your series at chapter 18 like that seems like it should just be like something that you're told once you start publication uh-huh whatever magachan god of destruction chapter 28 lucky beans and demons it's an izuma chapter of magachan izuma the character that is the most important that and super interesting and everyone loves it's the holy night guy he's out in the wilderness somewhere i don't know he found a bunch of rocks to chop up so good job he's upset uh it's uh, you know, it's this you know, still the beginning of the year. Uh, so Ma- Magu and Ru are running around, and Ru is like laying down like stuff to cast out, you know, demons and draw in happiness because it's Setsubun. It's look, I don't understand this Japanese custom. They're doing a Japanese custom that I don't understand. It's, so they're casting around like. Rice, I believe that 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 would make sense, right? Or salt? Uh. Salt, I think, is what you cast down to expel demons. Anyway, no, no, she's throwing down beans. I don't. Magu's throwing beans. I don't don't know. know. (laughs) Magu opens up some of his beans and he's like, "I will spread these around," and but he's going to spread around natto instead. And she and Ruru's like, "That'll be really annoying to to clean up, though." Meanwhile, at the same time, Izuma has just come to Ruru's house in order to challenge Magu to a duel. And but Izuma is like, no, Neris, I have not come to fight him this time. I need to know what he's planning. I must know what his true intentions are. So he throws open the door and is like, come out, Maku Minuku. I have a bone to pick with you. And Magu is is doing, you know, like the throwing food around thing to cast out the spirits. And he throws the Nato right in Izuma's face. Izuma is so shocked by this brutal assault that he kind of collapses to the ground for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's just because he's a very dramatic guy. Uh, he takes offense to this, draws out his sword, and uh, wants to fight Magu. Ruru puts a stop to it because like, she's like, don't fight in my house. Uh, Izuma and Magu point at each other like little kids who have gotten into a spat. Like, he started it. Uh, so Ruru's like, look, if you're going to fight, do it where no one gets hurt. Uh, and and then she's like, wait, I've got an idea. We'll make it a Setsubun showdown. So they go out to the beach, and Ruru says, it's the Setsubun showdown. Whoever manages to hit their opponent's mask with a bean first wins. And both Magu and Izma now have, like, Oni masks clasped to the side of their heads. And so Izuma's like, so these beans have been given a divine blessing of good fortune, and this is a means of defeating evil in this country. Ren is there for some reason, and he says, we don't have a custom like that. That's So look, I'm not going to like bury the lead. This is not a very good chapter. That is the one no. really good joke in the chapter, though, where Magu-chan just makes up a wild thing of like a, a wild like um, tradition. He's just like, no, that, no we don't that's... have that. <laughs> why Ren is there at all was he hanging? he was hanging around the house I guess I don't know why he was hanging around the house well he's I do know why he was hanging around the house because he's Ren anyway so 
they're gonna throw beads at each other. Uh, Yuzuma throw like inject infuses some of his magic into the beads that he throws. They go into Magu's body and explode into a lightning bolt explosion thing. And Izuma gives a really, really, really long and complex explanation about what he did with his power. And Ren just goes, your explanation is too long. Yeah, it's pretty funny, though. Magu says Magu, however, is unaffected after the smoke clears. And then Izuma realizes, wait, you consumed them because he ate the beans because he's Magu. Chan. Anyway, uh, more lightning beans get thrown at him. Oneris is videotaping everything. And uh, she's like, yeah, he wanted this fight, so I'm not going to stop the fight. Uh, Izuma is having a big crisis of conscience right now because he's like, the wicked gods were sealed away by my ancestors. And I got stronger not just to seal away beings who threaten humanity, but to do away with them. But the most supreme being of all, Magamanuku, the god of destruction, won't even pay attention to me. So what am I even doing here? So he's all, oh, why? Heroic blue screen of death, blah, blah, blah. Um, Rue, while observing this, says, I think Magu-chan and Izuma are very similar. I wonder if they can't grow closer through their fighting. And Ren's like, I got a destruction and, a, and kid named with a warped sense of reality named Izuma. I guess they're both misfits in this world. Okay. Yzma eats all of the beans that, uh, rather, Magu eats all the beans that Yzma throws at him. And he says, I am sure you have realized it now. Without stealing gems, no lowly human is a match for me, let alone one with disillusioned and crude magic. So Yzma grimaces and says, I have one request, got a destruction, Magu Minuku. Unleash your powers of destruction on me. Fight me for real. And Magu's like, okay, you said it. <laughs> so... Yzma is thinking, like, fighting is all I can do. The holy knights and wicked gods, good and evil, happiness and demons, I'm done thinking. As a single knight, I will challenge you. Face me! And he draws his sword, and they're going to clash, and boom, explosion. And Yzma loses. He gets knocked to the ground. He's not actually hurt, of course. And he says, when Maga comes over to him, Why did you go easy on me? Aren't you a wicked god who presides over destruction? Maga says, God of destruction. Wicked god. I do not remember ever calling myself those. Lowly humans only call me that out of fear. It will be easy for me to erase your ex existence, but my disciple wishes that I do not harm you. So Yzma comes to a quote-unquote realization that he shouldn't be trying to defeat the God of Destruction, but change him. It wasn't Magu Minuaku, but that young maiden who I lost to. The police have arrived because of the explosion on the beach, and they arrest Yzma again. Also, apparently, Oneris. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think Oneris just goes along with it. I mean, can you really ever arrest a god? Oneris yeah. is probably like, I get to do my prison inmate cosplay now. Cool. So. Oh, yeah, for her, it's, it's very exciting. The next day, we get what I think is the only funny joke in this whole chapter when Izuma shows up in Ren's class the next day. He introduces himself. He's joining the class, but he flat out says, in my pursuit of the God of Destruction, I've decided to infiltrate the school. So Ren's like, why are you at our school? I thought you'd go home. And he says, no, no, I understand now there's no greater interest in suppressing the God of Destruction, but that doesn't change that his powers are immense and dangerous. That is why I will be taking on the duty of keeping an eye on the young maiden and Maku Minuaku. So you help me out too, boy. And Ren's like, 
wait, so you're my age? And he was like, oh, I'm 16. Why? And I was like, why aren't you in high school? <laughs> I like that joke. Stacey. And that's it. He was somehow a student at a school. I thought, he should yeah. Years to Look, I, I've been on record before. I, I don't particularly care for this character. So this is sort of a, a chapter where him getting character development makes him better. But at the same time, I just I'm not a huge fan. I do like small little touches. I like the moment of Magu being like, I don't remember ever calling myself a wicked god as we kind of go through the process of recontextualizing Magu as this not benevolent, but not malevolent god of destruction, sort of this uh, uh, stateless being that the the morality of which is seemingly shaped by the people he associates with. So I, I, I do like that as like a resolution for that conflict. He's like, you keep calling me a wicked god, but that's not what I am. I'm, I follow the whims of my perhaps people. You, perhaps if you want to see who is truly wicked, you should look in the mirror. <laughs> Um, Behind this curtain is the most wicked creature in existence. It turns out it's man. <laughs> uh, so I like that. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, it's kind of just, it. you know, it's a chapter. It's fine. It has a couple, like, decent teehees to it or whatnot. But it is neither the best chapter this week nor the worst. Nope. And there were not a lot of great manga this week, unfortunately. <laughs> now that we're halfway through with them, I could say that. So. Yeah. Dr. Stone, Z equals 182. Time to get stoned! Chapter Z equals 182, Diamond Heart. Uh, Last time, the crew that was sailing around had their stealth vehicle, and uh, they covered it in petrification devices, because it turns out they're really, really, really good at deflecting radar somehow. So... They're going to, however, keep on uh, examining the devices because they have experimentation to do. Their goal is to figure out how to reactivate them so that they can actually fight against Stanley's gang. And uh, Senku also, you know, like tries to relate this stuff to Zeno. Is like, hey, you know, if you help us out here, your analytical abilities would probably be really helpful to us. And Zeno's like, yeah, well, naturally, in the event that I come across a discovery that escapes your grasp, I have no intention of sharing my findings. And Senku's like, I mean, all right, but... I say that sharing makes the whole process run smoother. See, sharing, Dr. Zeno, is caring. I don't know if you understood that. Oh, you don't care. Okay. So they do a lot of really tiny work, collecting tiny little scraps of samples and stuff like that. Uh, And Senku is like, okay, so inside of each of these Medusas, there is this blackened diamond, just like Joel reported to us. Uh, smashing the samples apart leaves us with countless tiny components, but the fact that this one is identifiable is key. Uh, so thanks to Joel Tinker around with it, they now have this lead that they can examine on every single device, which is helpful. So Senki says, all right, well, there's the charred bits of the crystal, which make it hard to tell much about the structure of it or if the, in- the refractive index is distorted, blah, blah, blah. Zeno kind of is like, you know, starts throwing around terms that Chrome, who is nearby, is like confused by. Uh, but they s- note, we've opened up like a thousand of these things eventually. Every single diamond from them shows a different blackening pattern. The patterns aren't planned or deliberate. And so are they just alterations, just the result of damage? But eventually, Chrome happens to find a diamond that is not blackened at all. It looks almost perfectly new. And so they look at it and they're like, 
well, what if we put it in a Medusa and it we get it to work? So Kahaku goes ahead and tries to activate it. She puts it in a Medusa unit and you know says one meter, three seconds, throws it away from herself, and it doesn't work at all. So it they it, there's something that they're still missing. They keep on breaking open devices and examining them and stuff like that. And eventually, Zeno looks at the, one of the crystals and says, there are cracks, likely along the cleavage planes. So the clean diamonds have cracks in them, they note. The whole diamonds have black smudges. I assume there are probably some overlaps as well. Mm. Anyway, even the clean diamonds aren't undamaged by the process of being used up. And Zeno's like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure you would have noticed that too, Senku. I'm not trying to help you, Babaka. So. <laughs> so they examine stuff more and more. And so uh, Chrome's like, what, what the hell does all this mean? And Senku says, well, this is just a hypothesis. But if we had a diamond that was completely the correct shape, good as new, no cracks, no scratches, no black marks, we could cram it into a Medusa and power it up. So we've got to make a diamond. And everyone's shocked by this, as usual, whenever Senku says, we're going to make something ridiculous. And so Senku's like, OK, here's what we got to do. And he, they get in contact with the group that was left behind in uh, the kingdom. And they say, you guys have got to make this for us. You got to make this diamond. But everyone points out, like, we don't have a professional scientist here that can do that senku and Zeno are with you guys but senku says the pros don't hold any exclusive patent on science anyone can do it sinner or saint following the same steps yields the same results that's the whole point of science there's a really cool little moment yes like hey we have the methodology if you follow the methodology you can do it too you can replicate the results so he tells them you're gonna need some ingredients methanol okay <laughs> it's the only one that's named i don't know it seems like that's the only one so they need to get so they get some methanol from dr zeno's uh, facility and he says okay you have to heat it up and that's it so because presumably they have participated with senku in a lot of his experiments before they know how to accomplish this which is okay we need some like tungsten filament and we need to do this and this in order to heat it up the first time that they try it causes an explosion. It's okay. Only magma was hurt and he's fine. <laughs> uh, so they, some of them start to, you know, act in dismay. Like we can't do this. You know, maybe we should. And, and yo says, maybe we could get the enemy mechanic. You get Brody to handle this part. But Nikki says, no, Senku asked us to craft this diamond for a reason. We shouldn't let the enemy get involved in the process. Science isn't just for the eggheads. We can do this. That diamond's getting made. And so they gather themselves again and they have a more complicated, thorough process for heating things up this time. Uh, when they hook stuff up in order to get the filament heated up, it cracks and they think that they have failed. Uh, but when Yuzuriha examines the connection, she says, there are these tiny little particles sparkling in it. It's really, really small, but it's a diamond when Joel examines it. So they've successfully made tiny bits of diamond through this process. Yeah. Hooray! 
That's where the chapter ends. Diamond acquired. Uh, this is a fine chapter. You know, I like the idea that the other side of the team has to kind of put this thing together and, you know, it, 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 they they do get to it, you know. It, it probably could have used, like, another, like, two or three pages because when the second explosion happened, it was like, the big like, come on, guys, let's do it. I was expecting, like, one more try at the Apple instead of them just being like, hold on, wait, let's just look. Oh, I know we did it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah like, it a little okay. bit of a weird ending, yes. Uh, but I still like it, you know, I, it's it's fine. Um, I think I'm generally more optimistic with uh, where Dr. Stone has been in the past couple of weeks, so I think if I were more bored with it, this would have been a chapter I'd be like, who gives a shit? But as it was, I was kind of like, you know, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was perfectly adequate. There you go. All right, Nick, let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 47, Mash Burn Dead and the Selection Exam. Uh, so last chapter, uh, Rain revealed Ares. He used his Bankai, used black magic. And uh, Margaret responds by summoning a music note shield because music is his gimmick. So everything's got to be musical themed. Uh, summons up this big shield. It is cut straight through. Like after Rain's attack hits, there's a giant like chasm in the ground. After where the attack hits, there's just like black smoke kind of pouring out of it. And we see Mash show up and he's like, uh, thanks. Rain's like, for what? I was just playing with some bunnies in the forest. He's like, oh, hey, you know, the selection exam is soon. And I, I do like Mash just being like, yep. He's like, look, I've never been good at encouraging people, but I'll say this. You are embarking on a challenge the likes of which this world has ever seen. Nothing good will come of your failure. So win and give your challenge meaning. And Mash responds with a whole hearty K. Uh, and then Brain walks off and says, I've got some bunnies to take care of. Mash like, I knew you liked bunnies. Uh, we cut over, and Margaret is alive. He also yep. grabbed his two uh, subordinates, the the twins, and just says, you boys sure are sloppy. And he, he looks at his own bloody hand and just says, so that's a triple linder. The, the gigantic wand increases the baseline of his magic, so even an entry-level spell is given the sheer power of a secondeth magic. I wouldn't mind trying out my own secondeth spell, but I had to take care of these boys. Oh, was it maternal instincts? Um, Sort of an odd use of term there, as I know there have been people who have been a little displeased that Margaret appears to just be a queer-coded villain which has definitely been a big problem in media to begin with. In general. Um, yeah, so a little bit of a disappointing moment there, unless that's supposed to be a, a clue to something bigger. But regardless, uh, I do like the note of Margaret being like, hey, I actually had some stuff in the tank, and I was better than what you saw there. I might have actually been able to fight back from that, but I had to protect my flunkies, essentially. Um the the two nobodies are just like, yeah, Margaret could have totally done it with this second to spell. This is all our fault. And Margaret just says, no, no, no worries. I believe in saving the best for last. Um, we cut over and everyone has basically been given like they're going through their all their coins that they, they earned for being Lord Abel. And they're just like, cool. Uh, how about I give three coins to everybody? That sound good. And Finch just like, oh, God, why do I have these? I shouldn't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, Lance just says soon as he looks at a picture of his little sister. 
Uh, Dot cannot sleep. He's too excited, so he just keeps looking over his uh, his, his, his backpack and everything again. He's <laughs> so prepared. Yeah. He's such a thorough, prepared boy. Like... <laughs> Lemon's a girl and wasn't invited to participate. <laughs> well, she was the one who was kidnapped, I guess. I know, but Finn didn't do anything. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> It's like, it's not even a line to address it. And I'm in in complete agreement with you. It's like, why isn't Lemon there? That seems kind of messed up. Uh, But then we have a scene with Mash talking to his father. And his dad's just like, I I heard they discovered you can't use magic. And and you're going to be charged with this crime if you don't meet their demands. And he just starts apologizing. This is my duty. If if only I could have given you a normal life. If only I could have provided to you better uh, perhaps I could have done more to help you pass in society. And Mash just interrupts him and says, I'm happy. I've got a Pops who's always looking out for me. I was able to experience school, if even only for a little bit. I was blessed with friends. I got to eat lots of cream puffs. I'm happy. So thank you, Pops. And his dad just says, good. Now come back safe. And we're given the explanation of how the divine visionary thing generally goes. It's, it's sort of a three-stage thing. The first stage is acquiring coins. The second is the selection exam. And then the third is the actual divine visionary exam. So the second stage is what we're doing right now. They add the detail to like, normally it takes five coins, but because of shit with Innocent Zero, it's just three coins this week, uh, this year. So that's why all of our characters get to be involved. And we're introduced to all the characters who will be like the fodder, essentially. And there are some fucking top choice names. More Tomato, Dolb, Marks, Max Land. Uh, But my absolute favorite is one of the uh, characters who's given their own unique panel, and that is Carpaccio Lu Yang. (laughs) I was worried MASH had lost a little bit of its naming potential, but Carpaccio Lu Yang is so fucking spot on. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So personally, the most interested in Pon Taurus. I'm where's a, his chin <laughs> i don't know where his neck ends and his face starts i think he yeah. might just have the biggest chin anyone's ever seen <laughs> but like it, it actually his chin actually goes down into his shirt collar <laughs> yeah uh so yeah the, the basically we see a whole bunch of characters and the three it looks like we're meant to kind of really take note of our capaccio uh lance and margaret they're all there and they all have more than the three coins needed to get into this and then finally Wahlberg. Starts off by kind of introducing everybody, saying, it seems that Margaret is entering here. You you face a difficult road, Mash burned dead. And then Mash heads off into the arena. So yeah. this is a, a very big deal. We got some suitable build up for Margaret. It looks like there might be a showdown with Lance at some point. Uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be specifically a tournament or if this is kind of like a, a battle royale kind of situation. So uh, we shall see, but there are a lot of storylines kind of going into this, so should yep. be should be. It talking. definitely seems like it's a sort of tournament setup. Yeah. So. Well, let me see. There's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So it does it does add up okay to tournament. You'd have to do some buys, but yeah, you know, there could also just be people we don't see too. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I've got ear stuff going on no so you said you were cured uh, i'm not fully cured 
take some uh, ibuprofen after this. So, Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 29, Lament of the Former King of Ayakashi. So we start off with a little conversation between Shirogane and uh, Ginraku, who has actually sketched out the strange appearance that Suzu took on when the Ayakashi medium appeared. He says that this is probably the Ayakashi medium who lies dormant within Suzu, but she immediately withdrew. So that means Suzu is probably an incomplete vessel. So he says, what does Suzu need to become complete? In addition to getting more involved with Ayakashi, I believe there is another important element, Matsuri. So, I go to Suzu and Matsuri for a bit. Genraku and Shirogane are perving on them from the shadows. And uh, Genraku says, This is to be expected from one who presides over life. Her mind is always on eating and Matsuri. She probably loves to sleep, too. Okay. But he explains... She doesn't have trouble eating or sleeping, as in she can do those whenever she wants. But the situation with Matsuri won't go her way. That stress heightens her power. And Chiyogani reflects on the times that Suzu has demonstrated her powers, which have been involved with Matsuri. The time that she tried to, you know, remove his his gender swap jutsu, the time that they first met Genraku and she took over the octopus thing. So... Uh, but he clarifies, see, it didn't happen in the battle against the Jinyo because she thought Matari was dead. Despair won't dry out this power in order to tap into her full power. But if we are able to tap into her full power, you might be able to return to your original form. We cut over to Suzu and Matari again. They're hanging out with Lou and, oh God, I'm going to remember the other girl's name eventually. It's like, Something with an S, I feel like. Yeah, yo, yeah, yo. Nope, never mind. There wasn't an S in there to begin with. (laughs) Just got to remember one piece. Yeah, yo. So. Yeah, yo, yeah, yo. Exactly. Dreaming. Don't give it up. Luffy. Dreaming. Don't give it up. Zoro. Dreaming. Don't give it up. Navi. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. It was really weird when they added the other characters into the cast, but they didn't change the don't give it up part at all. (laughs) It's nothing is better than when they added Chopper. And they have like the doctor. Yeah, like it's like Sanji's cooking chapters doctor in. And I was like, I mean, I guess doctoring can be a verb if you use it like that. But this very clearly sounds like it's not intended in the song at all. Well, especially when it's like Zoro was like a samurai. There's no doubt. You give them all their own lines. And it's like Sanji's cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Sanji cooking. Chopper doctoring. Is is he doctoring, or am I just supposed to connect these two words together? Look, I signed up to do this rap part breakdown. I didn't know that there was going to be more members that oh. were in the same 60 seconds, okay? There, there was a guy backstage, and they hired him. They just they told him all the characters, so he's just like, like if it had kept going, it had been like, Frankie Building, Brooke, Skeleton! <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have time to figure it out. And they were like, we don't know who's going to join the Strats. So There's just like a hundred like nonsense ones out there. So this Laboon guy, is he joining the crew too? Laboon's a big whale. <laughs> Gaiman in, in a chest. Not much else. <laughs> like, they got to shove all those in there. Like, we don't know. He could be a Straw Hat. <laughs> is Vivi a Straw Hat? For a while. <laughs> Vivi got uh, blue hair. Not even like, not even like a cool <laughs> thing. She got blue hair. 
<laughs> and that's your One Piece discussion for this week, everybody. There was no chapter. <laughs> Lou has gotten the other three to basically sit down and do a Ouija board with her, but the Ouija board is themed around Shiromatsu, the mysterious alien boy that she met a few chapters ago. So they each like lay their fingers on like a uh, 10 yen coin. <laughs> and so instead of having like the big dial, so they're, you know, going to guide around like a Ouija board. And so Lou is like, Shiromatsu, are you on earth right now? And Matsuri kind of like deliberately forces it to move over to yes. And Suzu like looks over at him like, what did you do that? And he's like, well, I mean, I guess I am Shiromatsu. So I guess I wanted to answer honestly. <laughs> like you didn't whatever need to do that. So, um, so Lou says, you know, you guys should ask a question of Shiromatsu. He can answer any question we have about the secrets of outer space, maybe even about multiverses or how to evolve into a higher dimension life form. So Suzu kind of looks at Matsuri and he's like, be sure to answer them. So Lou turns over to Yayo and is like, do you have a question? And she says, yeah, does Nidokuro like Matsuri? a great question to ask good for you so so Matsuri's like I mean I guess he has helped me out but it's not like you know we like each other or anything but the 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 10 yen coin moves over to yes again so Suzu's pissed off at Matsuri like no did you move it because of what Ninokuru's dad said and Matsuri's like did Suzu move it could she be looking at us like we're meant to be together but then she he spots out of the corner of his eye that Shirogani is watching from the window and he has used his powers to perform telekinesis on the coin because I guess this to cause more stress between Suzu and Matsuri I guess anyway so Matsuri's <laughs> trying to play it off like whatever I don't care so then they follow up with another question which is just like how compatible are Matsuri and Ninokuro oh it says excellent maybe you should go out with a Matsuri and Suzu's like urge to must kill anyone who might fuck my man. So, uh, <laughs> Yayo keeps has gotten three questions in a row. Let someone else have a turn, you selfish person, you. So she says, "Does Matsuri want to go out with Nina Kuru?" And Matsuri is like, "I can't let Shirogane move it over to yes. Oh, no, I don't want Susan to think that I'm gay." <laughs> Shirogane, we dive into his head as he thinks. Matsuri is planning to take the coin to know, but I won't lose. I must complicate things between Suzu and Matsuri to draw out the Ayakashi medium's power. Go to yes! This is so dumb. <laughs> I do like the dedication to this, though. He's like, I must make these teenagers have complications in their relationships. It must happen. The coin starts to waver between the different forces going on it. Matsuri looks over at Shirogane again and is like, God, even in his weakened state, he still has this much power to move the coin. But then he notices that Shirogane is crying. And Shirogane just has this perfect bow where he goes, why am I doing this? <laughs> why are you so focused on moving this coin over this fake Ouija board so that, so that Susan will think that Matsuri wants to bang Ninokuru? What is wrong with you? <laughs> He's like, what? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Why am I trying to get these kids to fuck? I don't. 
<laughs> what, have, what have I become? So he has this whole, like, this whole tragic backstory thing that is kind of an attempt to explain why he hates young humans wanting to bang each other. And it goes like this. The fear and belief of humans overwhelmingly increased my powers, but it was an era where the human world was experiencing rapid growth. Ooh. Means people were fucking a lot. My shrine deteriorated and had become a rendezvous point for couples. In order to punish the pesky couples, I shut myself away deep in the mountains to train, and finally I mastered the secret art to change genders. Gender swap awakened! But when I returned to the village, not only were the couples gone, the entire village had been flooded out by the construction of a dam. Angered, I tried to destroy the dam, and for dozens of years I fought against Exorcist Ninja, including Matsuri's grandfather, Sagan Kazumaki. But it all seemed so ridiculous, I decided to stop getting involved with humans. Time passed, and now here I am, facing off against Sagan's grandchild, who I turned into a girl with gender swap awakened, over a 10 yen coin! The idea, well, when you put it that way. <laughs> the idea that his entire, like, he's like, it's not just that he's like, oh, what have I become? He's like, I, I fucking left and went on a training arc because I was so tired of horny people not fucking paying me my due respect. And the entire time. I was too fucking dumb to ever realize that there are not hetero relationships in the world. It never crossed my mind. Like, I understand the specific point of, like, there was a lot of heterosexual banging going on because people were making babies. Thus, I made a gender swap awaken jutsu to fuck with hetero couples so that they couldn't fuck to have babies. I'm with you there, <laughs> but your anger doesn't seem to be over specifically baby making sex because I've got a secret for you. If they're sneaking off into your temple to have privacy to bang, they're not doing it usually with the express intent of trying to have children. That tends to be what boring couples do if they are banging specifically to have kids. They do it in the safety of their own homes where they could just raise a child because no one will care if they sneak off the bang in their own house. So what you really were doing was being upset about the pervy people and the people who aren't capable of having children or don't care about it, i.e. don't necessarily need to be heterosexual. But also, they moved in and made a dam and wrecked your temple. So shouldn't the real source of your woe and the target of your anger and resentment be industrialization is not banging. He's like, yeah, but I can't turn a dam into a chick. That doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Shiragane. Sure, sure, I might as well use it. Shiragane, sure, have you considered the solution to your problem might be not turning people into chicks? <laughs> what are you talking about? Explain. <laughs> so he remembers this and gathers his resolve 
And in order to get the edge over Matsuri, he decides to deploy Ayakashi Jutsu Shirogane Hairball, which is just firing a big puff of hair from his tummy into Matsuri's face. Matsuri gets pissed off and fires wind jutsu at him and blows him away, so you shouldn't have tried to do that. Matsuri falls over as a result of this, and uh, all that draws the weirdness to a close for today. Genraku is um, has a kind of cool surveillance system set up where he has like a rabbit he's drawn holding a camera he's drawn, which projects a visual to a TV screen he has drawn. So that's nifty. I like that. Anyway, Shiragani is humiliated and, and lying in the bushes and Garaku's like, hey, I know you can do it. After all, you've already greatly complicated their relationship by casting Gender Swap Awakened. Keep frustrating Suzu to draw the Ayakashi meeting from within. And so is like, what are you actually trying to do? And Garaku says, I told you, I want to draw the complete Ayakashi medium. But Shiragani says, well, then why didn't you help when she was attacked by the Jinyo? Because you knew about that while it was going on. And he explains, I was nearby, but it's Matsuri's role to save her. It's not my place to meddle, especially if she's forgotten about me. Uh, and then the chapter ends with Yayo and Lu trying to push Ninokuru and Matsuri into a me-cute so that they poke up because they are teenagers with lots of time on their hands. Yeah. So there you go. It's very silly, but I guess in the same way, I kind of like, I don't know. There's just something so funny about Shiragane. Like, and I know it's kind of treated as a dramatic moment, but it's just so fucking funny that he has the moment of realization. She's like, why the fuck do I care so much about getting these stupid kids into a complicated relationship? I am a demon god, and I am sitting here fucking with a Ouija board, basically, to try to, just to try to complicate things. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. I think that um, at the very least, the series has followed through finally on. Sure, guy is kind of an idiot, and he. Yes. All right, Nick. Let's rack things up here with okay. Black Clover, page two seventy nine. The door to hell. So we open the chapter of Mary Leona. She's uh burned the demon up. She's like, "Ha ha! You're all burned. You're dead." Uh, when all the other characters, including the guy who's voiced by a boy band, shows up to be like, we're here too. I don't know what we're here for. I guess just to talk about how cool Yuno is, because <laughs> that's all they do in this scene, is be like, Yuno's pretty dope. Uh, so we, we cut over to all the various different uh, fights that have happened and how all the members of the dike. The Dark Triad are definitely dead. They are dead, Nick. Super dead. All of them have been defeated. Uh, when Jack the uh, Jack the Ripper, the great hero, uh, is like, hey, shut up, Dante. Stop laughing. I'm going to kill you. You're then, dead. You're dead. You're very dead. Right. I don't need to kill you anymore. You're yeah. dead. Yeah. Uh, when suddenly everybody's like, hold on a second. What's this feeling? And these, these dark kind of tendrils, almost veins, start pouring up from the bottom of the palace and then stretching out and over the castle. And they're like, holy shit, 
it's the Quilfoff, or I, I don't know how to fucking pronounce it. Uh, we, we, like, what the fuck? This doesn't make sense. Uh, we get a full page spread of, uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair activating one of his other demon forms, Felis, where he becomes like a, you know, like a leather armor cat boy. Which, yep. I'm sure will inspire a lot of fan art on the internet. Places I won't go, but places where you can be sure there will be crossovers with uh, Knuckles from Sonic the Hedgehog, and one of them will be pregnant at the end of it. <laughs> Stay tuned to find out who. Um, no lies detected. <laughs> uh, Cleefoth? Okay. Uh, so, Nature Boy Flair uses the shadow magic and sees, like, yes, all this is spreading from the, like, the Advent Center, but he's, I, I sense some magic besides Yami and Vanchitz's. We go down there, and he's like, Morris, the magic scholar who was exiled from the Diamond Kingdom? And I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to know who this is. I feel like we were maybe introduced to them at some point, but I don't remember. Uh, Morris basically gives like a big explanation of, like, it's, uh, uh, oh, this is apparently the person who first met, messed with Mars and Fauna. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, he goes like, hey, you know what? I I did all those things, but hey, I'm going to use the wisdom of the Heart Kingdom, and I discovered a way to actually accelerate the tree's growth. So to think that ex in exchange for being born blind, I'd be blessed with abilities like these. The abilities of oh, the so devil. He's blind. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. He's blind. Yeah. Blind. Actually, he's blind. blind. Uh, and he's like, hey, through the power of my, my devil, uh, my magic has made it possible to extract and transplant even Lolo Pachika's wisdom. So, there we go. Uh, doing that is expediating the gate and opening it. So they're like, holy shit, we have to stop. And before Nature Boy Fair can even do that, a demon walks out. Two demons, actually. And they just fucking slap stupid ass Jack the Ripper away. And uh, it looks like Nature Boy Fair only survived because Felis's characteristic is agility. And he's just like, shit, those two... They're devils of the highest order. And the two devils just say to themselves like, Oh, I missed. I hit. This will be fun. So it looks like thing, the timetable has sped up a lot faster than they thought. And now the devils are out. It's a scintillating chapter. It's uh, full of uh, twists and turns and uh, characters that I care deeply about. And I can't wait to see what happens next i am excited for the day somebody makes a do you know this black clover character test for both of us and see if combined we could figure it out um i will say this the only thing i liked is i do like that there seems to have now been an actual purpose to bringing uh lola pachika here yes. as opposed to like i don't know i just need a reason for like i guess i'm just gonna kind of do it because i'm evil and i want Noel to be angry so I can get a better fight out of her. They right, actually right. are using her to expediate this gate. That's decent. Oh, but uh, but uh, that's not going to happen anyway because uh, she's dead. So yes, well, yeah, Vanica's dead. So I guess we won't get that rematch. That's a shame. It was it was really exciting. I was very excited for a rematch between Kenny Omega and uh, Adam Page, but it's a shame that Omega had to die, and now yes. we're never going to get a rematch. <laughs> <laughs> Griff Garrison came in and clotheslined him. His head came off and just wow, popped straight off. That's how the Reign of Terror ends. Good job, Griff Garrison. <laughs> Who the fuck's Griff Garrison? 
Uh, oh, he's with Brian Pillman. Oh, I know. That's uh, that's the uh, the the uh, BT joke. <laughs> there was like an old oh. Dark Order sketch where they're like, "We got Jungle Boy," and then like like Brody Lee's like, "That's not Jungle Boy. That's Griff Garrison." He's like, "Who the fuck is Griff Garrison?" <laughs> in front of griff garrison what a good sport he is yeah (laughs) so i will say a legit personal hang-up that i actually have with this chapter is that i mean it was clearly going to happen that you know the three demon lords or whatever they're freaking called we had false finishes for all three of them and they're all going to come back but mario leona finished off her opponent really easily and is established no that demon's gone. She just won that easily. Cool. Why are we over here in this scene if it's just a bunch of people talking about nobody? I don't know. Anyway, so I didn't like this chapter. I do agree with you, at least in terms of like the plot development of like, okay, things are moving forward. But there's a whole lot of characters that I do not recognize or care about involved in this including two that we've never seen before. And we're only supposed to care because they're very strong looking demons that have had literally no, well, no, they were actually mentioned very briefly. I think the last time we saw this scientist character, but I didn't pay attention because I don't care about him. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very, very like selfish personal reasons, but I hated this chapter. So that's very fair. And that is it. Unfortunately for this week's weekly no recap, this. leaving off on a negative note. Fuck yeah. everything. Yeah. So I hate this. Why are we, ah, slappy things. You can't be mad at me. My ears hurt. So oh, that's uh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying that in general. So that is going to do it for a weekly manga recap, everybody. But we are going to be picking up another series to read. Uh, we might actually be able to cover it next week because it's pretty short and it has been completed. Did I close that? God damn it. I closed it. No, it's here. It's here. It is a series by Gaku Kajikawa that's gotten several recommendations on the WMR uh, Google Doc. Uh, It it is a romance series, so kind of appropriate as we head in to get ready to gear up for February, Valentine's Day, uh, that apparently contains um, gender swapping, angst, and bad decisions. So look forward to that, everybody. Okay. What's the name of the series? Hina Change. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, well, let's go over our MVPs and everything like that. So uh, I will say this was a pretty weak week. Uh, yes. Um, I'm going to give it to Mashal. It's not that Mashal was particularly like outstanding, but in terms of like setting stuff up in a way I'm kind of excited about, it's probably the one that made me most excited. Plus, I do like the little exchange between Mash and his dad, where his dad just thinks like, oh, God, I, I failed to protect you. And he's like, no, you you were a great dad. And I got to actually experience a, a pretty good uh, school life for a little bit. So thanks for that. So I, I do I do like those moments. But this is actually a hard decision because of just being short on options. Um, I'm not giving my chapter to Mashal, but I am giving my character of the week to Mash's dad. For the same reasons. Okay. Although I was tempted to change my mind after we had our big long discussion about Shirogane. Just <laughs> oh, it, it didn't change. Shirogane's mine. He's, he's the fucking best. The best chapter. <laughs> Possibly for the wrong reasons, but you know what? <laughs> no, best best moment. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Everybody's fucking character of the week was Bond for a dog who has to face his own impending demise. Yeah. I picked so. the hilarious cat who, my, just, my... who just wanted those stupid horny teenagers to stop fucking in his temple. <laughs> stop fucking in my house! <laughs> I sleep here! <laughs> Get out! Try to watch TV! <laughs> He's not even like doing important god Ayakashi stuff. He just like, Oh, come on! Friends is on! <laughs> I'm making fucking. T- <laughs> I'm making tacos! Get out of here! <laughs> this is unsanitary! Alright. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna invent a whole jutsu so that you guys can never fuck again. <laughs> What's your chapter of the week? I'm sorry. Dr. Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, the audience, by the way, picked, uh, as I said, Bond was their character of the week. And Spy Family and My Hero Academia tied for their chapter of the week. Cool. There you go. Uh, that is going to do it, guys, for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you for joining us for the show. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we do we have a, a great community on our Discord server. They chat about the recommendation. They chat about the chapters when they come out. They chat about all sorts of different fun and weird things. And also, we have uh, on Saturdays a community uh, Weekly Manga Recap uh among us play so uh you know join in on that if you want to get in on it uh we want to give special thanks to ninja x3i who maintains the google doc for us uh very helpful especially at year end when we go over you know stuff that we've covered and everything like that we want to thank everyone who supports us on patreon for allowing us to help uh create bonus content for you guys to enjoy Steve Mann, our tower artist, you can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And Lindsay Dale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz for creating the opening theme for Weekly Manga Recap. There you go. Uh, all right. They're going to head on out then, I think. That's that's all I have. Yes. All right. Um, I feel like we should do a joke. I don't have one to tank. Chris, my ears really hurt and I want to take ibuprofen. Okay. So. Well, goodbye, everybody.